0: Welcome to the West Side Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: Let's jump in. We're we're starting something new today, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. But um, as I start, everyone 15, 20 years ago, probably that had, had normal TV back at the time without streaming um, watched this show called 24. I bet you many people back then did and then even people after that would probably stream it and it followed this guy named Jack Bauer who was a counter-terrorism you know, agent. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this show is that over 24 episodes it was literally a day. Like the whole season was one whole day, and th- this was the genius of the show, and probably why it got people so connected to it is that you felt like you were immersed in every single minute of this guy's day, every single decision, and catastrophe, and solution, and all that kind of stuff that stretched over 24 episodes. Every single episode, a cliffhanger. I think this was the first time TV was dabbling with, like, watch it, you're gonna be back next week, or watch it, and then when it comes to streaming, forget it, like, people just binge through it, because it's always a cliffhanger. And that's kind of the genius of it. And uh, But when you think about that, that's hard to do, because not not all stories are told that way. Often stories, you know, like a movie or a show or a book, can span years or span decades. And yet, like, this kind of concept was, how can we tell the whole story of one day in 24 hours of one-hour episodes? And uh, it's sometimes, because sometimes, some days are... Are really like they're too big to summarize in an hour. They're too big to summarize in five minutes or ten minutes. And that's what I was thinking about as we were leading up to Holy Week this coming season. Holy Week is the week before Easter, from Sunday to Sunday, from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, and. Um, that's what I was thinking about Holy Week. Here's a here's a timeline of Holy Week, and all like I'll, we'll we'll, sh- we'll have a link on our website for this, and it, you can't possibly see it there except seeing the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday again. And and what I love about this timeline is it shows kind of all the threads. And all the scripture references and all the key moments that are happening in that one week of Jesus' life. It's incredible when you see it all laid out like that and you have to take time with the infographic on yourself. And you can see like so much is going on in this one week. And it's interesting because when you read the Gospels, we sometimes forget this, but about one-third of the Gospels, which tell, you know, the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, how each Gospel writer put, put that together, but one-third of the Gospels is a summary and highlight of this one week. One-third of the Gospels summarizes and highlights this one week of Jesus' life. You've got to think, oh, that must be important. Like, it must be a pretty important week. And uh, when we get to the last week, the gospel writers slow down. They give us more details. They show us each turn of what's going on in Jesus' life and with the disciples and with the religious leaders and and what's happening moment by moment, inviting us into the most important week of Jesus' life. And so what we're going to do for the next five weeks is actually just kind of spend time in this one week. Uh, You know, generally people, you know, as a church, you'll celebrate Palm Sunday, and that's going to be five weeks from now. But we're going to talk about that actually moment today. Uh, But we're going to, for the next few weeks, just kind of walk through this journey to Easter. So today, you know, kind of when you watch something, uh, a movie or something, and it kind of says like seven days earlier, like you watch the end, and then it kind of comes back to the beginning. So that's kind of what we're doing today. Like, yes, the resurrection happened. And we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. But seven days earlier, let's jump into the story. And it's this seven days earlier, becomes, it's the height of Jesus' popularity. Uh, it becomes exponential. It's the height of the, the, the messianic anticipation that, that boosts in these few days, and particularly on the day we're looking at today. It's also the height of the tension that comes to kind of like a halt here between Jesus' And the religious leaders and the political leaders it comes to a climax with this with tension that's going on there that's been kind of building between jesus and them not because jesus is doing anything against them they're just getting kind of like frustrated with him because he's messing things up for them and we we jump into this seven days before Matthew chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles, turn, to me, turn with me. And uh, there's some other Scripture references on there too. If you take a picture or go back to our podcast later, you'll be able to get those references because it's the same story told in other Gospels, uh, which is just good for you if you'd like to dig in a little bit deeper. But here's Matthew's telling of this, chapter 21. We'll read this together. When they had come near Jerusalem and had re- reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. This is their coats, their, their garments. They, they, they spread them on the ground, and, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on top of the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and that followed. those who followed were shouting these words, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, "Who is this?" And The crowds were saying, "This is the prophet Jesus, from whom Nazareth, from Nazareth in Galilee." God, as we uh, jump into this first day, and we, even we can't possibly fully grasp the fullness of this one day. Um, we want to enter these next few weeks, God, journeying towards the climax of resurrection, but everything that happens in between. And Lord, we just ask you that you would, you would just draw us into this story, draw us into this final life of Jesus, draw us into these moments. And we just welcome uh, the voice of your Spirit to point out things along the way that we need to hear and respond to. Um, and I pray for myself and others who will speak in the next few weeks that you just lead us and guide us. Amen. Amen. So kind there's kind of like three or four things going on here, and, and here's how I want to describe it today. There's an announcement that takes place. They definitely tie it to some kind of fulfillment from prophetic words previously in the past through other Old Testament writers. There's tension that's building up, like you already saw it in the storyline. And then I want to leave you with a question uh, to think about as as we kind of come to the close of that today. But the first thing is this announcement. I mean, there's an announcement taking place. It doesn't sound so loud from Jesus, from his words particularly, but he is making an announcement with his actions. The things he's doing and what he's doing in that moment is making an announcement with his actual actions. And the setup is fascinating. And there's some things we can't really say this is exactly how it went down because we just read the story, like this idea of a donkey and colt. Like, how did this get set up? Did Jesus talk to someone beforehand? Was it someone he knew? Was it someone that was already a follower of Christ? Did did this moment get set up and like, we need this, make sure we have it. This person's gonna get it. I'm not sure. Maybe it was because they were so receptive to this messianic movement that was growing and the popularity, that they were just ready to do anything in that moment. Um, It could have been a random provider as well. This walk into Jerusalem, so intentional. This is an announcement in and of itself. Jesus, from his baptism, slowly, 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 slowly is getting to Jerusalem, the heart of the action, the heart of the religious leaders, the heart of the tension of even political things that are going on, and where the temple is, the heartbeat of Israel. And so this walk, this step into Jerusalem is an announcement in and of itself from Jesus. Right now it's the beginning of Passover and it's in this Passover season. Everyone's out. Everyone's anticipating this festival that's coming. They're longing for change. They're longing for hope. Every time they celebrate the Passover feast, they remember the rescue of Israel from Egypt. They remember God's hand. They remember the hope that was given to their people years and years ago, and they relive it, and they ask for it again. So this season of Passover is just this reminder of this anticipation that they're longing for. So maybe the owner of the colt was caught up in this normal yearly rhythm and is like, yeah, maybe this rabbi, this teacher, maybe he's the one. Give him my (laughs) colt. Give him my donkey. Let him do what he needs with it because maybe something great is going to happen here. And that could be very possible that that's what's going on. Maybe this one is going to bring the change we've always longed for. But the crowds join into the announcement too. Jesus does it subtly, with actions and metaphors and images. But the crowds literally join in, right? Like verse 9, we read, the crowds went ahead of him and that followed. those who followed were shouting these words, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is this announcement of hope That this person, Jesus, that they're seeing coming through and walking towards Jerusalem is the hopes of this king that they remembered, King David, from Israel's history. One of the most famous kings in Israel's history. One of the ones that they sensed God was working with, that God used. It was the height of who they were as a people. And they they had these hopes. As they said these words, that this guy was, is the son of David, genealogically on his, along his line, but also fulfilling this purpose, this hope that a king like David would rescue them. And he's arrived. And so much of what's going on here echoes Psalm 118. And this is just a little thing, little great thing for us to do when we're reading Scripture. Whenever we see Scripture quoted, like sometimes we think we have to, you know, read The whole Old Testament, which we should when we have a chance to and immerse ourselves in, it's really important. But a really helpful way to tie in the New Testament and Old Testament is like go back and read the psalm that Jesus is referring to. Go back and read the psalm that the people are referring to. Go back and read the psalm that, you know, or the scripture passage. That's super helpful. And this psalm is a messianic psalm. And it was often read during Passover. And so there these words aren't like brand new. But they're coming out of a story, they're coming out of a hope, they're coming out of a prophetic word, they're coming out of their wisdom literature. And so the words from Psalm 118, verse 25, you won't read the words Hosanna in some of your uh, translations, you'll read the word save us, because the word Hosanna means, oh save. The word Hosanna means, God save us. Maybe you've heard that song, you know, singing Hosanna, you're the God who saves us. So that's there. Verse 26 in Psalm 118 says the same thing. They're basically repeating it. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. God, would you rescue us like you rescued your people, like you rescued us from Egypt? This hope of restoration for David's kingdom, this this king that would come, that he would be coming in God's name, on God's behalf during this season of Passover when they're remembering this rescue mission from the past. And then they all do something that would have been normal in that time period for, any, for royalty, for a civil announcement, for some kind of civil procession. They would take off their cloaks. They would take off their jackets, and, and they would lay them on the floor to allow this person that they're esteeming in this moment to walk through. And many of them were, would cut the branches that were around at that time. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. It's not that the palms are like, you know anything significant around that but they were around there and they would use these palms for these types of things so they cut them down and they brought them down and they put them on the floor so jesus coming on this donkey would kind of walk over it and this was a civil announcement this was a civil honor this was a nod towards royalty and so when you think about this announcement it's really asking this question they're all wondering is this our messiah is this our king is this the fulfillment of david is this God rescuing us in this moment? Is this our Savior? Now, when they said Savior, they might not say it exactly how you say it. They're probably very robust understanding of that. It's, yes, a spiritual Savior, but it's also a physical Savior and a political Savior and a cultural Savior because they felt that in that moment. And so this announcement's taking place, but this announcement's really important as we read this story and as we get into this final week because it reflects a fulfillment of what was talked about in the Hebrew scriptures. Matthew loved this. When you read Matthew's gospel, he uses the word fulfilled 16 times as he ties back to things in the stories of Israel. 16 times because Matthew is one of the gospel writers who's writing to a Jewish audience and he wants to make those connections. He wants to help them see what's going on with this guy, Jesus, to what was going on in their past and in their story. So he's connecting the story of Jesus to the story of Israel. In fact, one way of describing the gospel is that the story of Jesus fulfills the story of Israel. It's really an important way to see the gospel as well. And here's this prophetic messianic hope now pointing to Jesus. In fact, Jesus quotes Psalm 118 later on. Like Matthew chapter 21, the same chapter, the same kind of moment, day, and such. Jesus, in in, uh, verse 42, Jesus is responding to now these religious leaders and others. And he says, have you never read in the scriptures? And now he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is trying to show them, like, don't you see what's happening here? You're rejecting God's foundation for what he wants to do. You're rejecting God's plan for bringing salvation. It's right in front of your face. And Jesus quotes Psalm 118 to help them see that. Here's this, again, this tie to fulfillment. Matthew ties what's going on to Zechariah 9.9. When we, when we read, like in Matthew kind of inserts this in, in the telling of this, verse four, he says, like, this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying this, and now this is a, pretty much a direct quotation of Zechariah 9.9. He says, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, So here's Matthew tying this. Look, your king is coming to you. The prophet said it, and it's going to happen in this way. So here's this fulfillment of prophetic prophecy. Now, this is really important because sometimes people like to kind of like squish world events to make sense with prophetic prophecy. This is a literal thing, like your king is coming. He's going to come on a young donkey. Here's Jesus coming. He's coming. It's pretty literal. It's not like I read this. And it kind of looks like this in our modern world. Let's make it fit. This is pretty direct. And this is one of the major prophetic fulfillments that Jesus brings about from the Old Testament. And But basically, Matthew is like, he's so caught up in this. He's like, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's taking place? Do you see that Zechariah prophesied this? Do you see that the prophets told us that this would happen? This big culminating moment where God becomes king through Jesus his son, Israel's king. Your king is coming to you. Now here's here's the good news, the amazing news, and I love how Matthew ties in Zechariah, oh, daughters of Israel. Like such an endearing phrase, such a way to describe the people of Israel, daughters of Israel, people of Israel. All this this nation, this people, your king is coming to you. It's so hopeful. It's anticipating. It's relieving. But it's also challenging because this is really important. Jesus doesn't come to put a stamp of approval on their religious system. Jesus doesn't show up and say, guys, you've been waiting for me. Everything you're doing is awesome. Check, 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 check. (laughs) That's not what Jesus does. So when he comes as king... He doesn't come with a stamp of approval. Man, the temple's working great. Your religious system's working awesome. Your heart is in order. I love how you're connected to politics and you just check, check. No, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, if you keep reading, Jesus walks into the temple eventually and he's so frustrated at what's going on that he flips the tables and he says, you've turned this house of prayer into a den of robbers. So there's a, there's a challenging part to Jesus becoming king. There's a challenging part to Jesus walking into Jerusalem. And that leads to this moment of tension or this idea of tension. And verse 10 tells us a little bit about that. Verse 10 says, Matthew tells the whole city is in turmoil. Is in turmoil. And I wonder if it's because it's kind of both good stuff and, and the climax of this moment and the hopes of the Messiah, but also the tensions that are going on between the religious leaders and Jesus, between the political leaders, between the motivations of people's hearts. I think there's a clash of hopes and expectations. There's a clash of reality. There's a clash of what's really going on in my own heart. Am I really, you know, am I, am I ready for, for what this person's going to bring? Or maybe some of the religious leaders is like, we don't want what this person's going to bring because he's going to mess up what we're We've kind of we've created a good thing here. We like the way the temple's running. We're happy with our political connections. Rome is not great, but but for the political leaders, you know, they give us like some side power. This is good. But then on the other side, there's people that are just feeling oppressed under Rome and, and feeling oppressed under this religious system. The whole city is in turmoil. People are anticipating potentially this Jesus as the Messiah. But the religious leaders don't like him, so something's going to, like, happen. Something explosive is going to take place. We're only on day one, so stuff will take place. But, so here's, here's the question that, like, when I read something like this, I wonder, what king or messiah were they looking for? What kind of king were they looking for? What kind of messiah were they looking for? And this is important, like especially in our world, we see this in political circles, right? Like we see political leaders rise up and, and, and if you talk to them in private, they'll say, I don't really believe some of the stuff I'm saying. Well, why are you saying it? I'm saying it because there's like 30% of our culture believes this. So I'm going to tie myself to them a little bit so they can come and join our party. So I'm, and, and what's really bad about that these days is they feed into people's anger and they feed into people's, um, you know, Disappointment and 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 they feed into that and then they're like, well, now you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna get them over. I'm gonna I'm angry, you're angry. Let's be angry together. Um, and sometimes that's an important question: What kind of leader are you looking for? Here, what kind of king or Messiah were they looking for? Maybe maybe they maybe one of the images of Passover, right? The story of the Egyptians following Israel as they're leaving Egypt and. Israel goes through the waters, and then the waters come over the Egyptian soldiers, and maybe they're looking and like, God, do it again. Kill all these people. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking David was a king. He was such a good king. He was the best military king we had. Man, whenever David led people to a war or a fight or a battle, they always won. The other people, we won. They lost. Maybe they're like, God, like we want to win. Make Rome lose. Maybe that's what they were feeling. You know, 200 years before Jesus comes on the scene, there was a man named Judas Maccabeus. 200 years earlier, he marched into town just defeating Israel's enemies. There was a battle that went on. They were attacked, and Judas Maccabeus led soldiers to defeat this army against Israel. And you know what they did for Judas Maccabeus? They threw their cloaks down. They threw the branches down. They honored him like Judas, be our Messiah, save us from this mess. You were so good on the battlefield. They, too, threw down palms. They, too, thought he was their Messiah. And I bet you many of them were like, yes, Jesus, maybe you're the next Judas. Maybe you're that kind of leader, Jesus. Maybe you will destroy all of our enemies and give us this political hope. Maybe, Jesus, you'll lead the revolution against Rome. Maybe that's what they were thinking. So I asked a question, like, what kind of king did they want? What kind of Messiah did they want? Judas Maccabeus came in on a horse. So what Jesus did wasn't a typical Roman triumphal entry. He didn't come in with force or violence. In fact, Luke, when he tells this story, adds, blessed is the king, peace in heaven. There's something different that's going on in this story that doesn't look like every other triumphal entry. The picture already spoke before me. (laughs) I was going to say, but there was a (laughs) colt. There was a young donkey. The image is so striking. It's not a large horse. There's no chariot. There's no weapons. There's no, we're going to get them and kill them. None of that stuff. And in this moment, when Jesus walks in on a colt, maybe mother, donkey, child, colt, Jesus on the colt, all the other gospel writers mention that he's on the colt. This is an image for humility. This is an image of Jesus clearing up what the God you believe in is like. Jesus telling everybody, you you have ideas about God. You have thoughts about God. You have images about God. You have hopes and expectations even about your God. But let me clear up what God looks like. Let me clear up what this moment really is. Let me clear up and show you how God will save the world and how God will save you. And he's not going to save you through Judas Maccabeus. He's not going to save you through another war. He's not going to save you through another political campaign. Let me show you how God will save the world. See, when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, he does not walk into Jerusalem to be crowned. He walks into Jerusalem to eventually go to the cross. It's very different. Jesus doesn't walk into Jerusalem on this and, and, and enters riding on this colt to say, come, make me king. He's coming in saying, I know they're going to kill me. He's not going there to be kinged. He's going there to be killed. And he knows it. And eventually it happens. And somehow, somehow, the way of Jesus will bring peace. The way of Jesus will save. The way of Jesus will restore with a surprising humility and meekness that would, have sti- that would still have the power, in fact more power, to confront the powers and principalities at work. More power than a sword, more power than a crown, more power than a cape, more power than a, than a horse, more power than an army in the humble act that Jesus begins, even from Palm Sunday there's this surprising humility that has power to confront the powers and principalities that are at work. And, you know, we just came out of the book of Revelation last year, and we see just the extent of the powers and principalities at work. And we think, who's going to destroy this? Do we need like U.S. helicopters to kill this? No. A humble, meek king riding on a colt will be the one who reigns over all this. But you know what? It's hard for the world to applaud this, right? Like we like Jack Bowers in the world. We like, you know, diehard movies. We like the people who are going to come in with the Iron Mans of the world. I know I'm just mentioning movies. Let me mention maybe real figures. But we like the figures who are going to come in with strength and power. That's what You know, it's hard for the world to applaud what Jesus just does here. It's hard for Israel to affirm what Jesus just does here because their expectations were this and Jesus is doing this. And it's hard for us to stay aligned with the ways of Jesus because it's so countercultural, It's so different. It's not what we would anticipate a win would look like or the path to victory would look like. So it's hard for the world. It's hard for Israel. It's hard for us. And so I think, you know, Seven days earlier, before this week unfolds in Jesus' life, we ask, I want to ask us this question, and I ask myself this question. Is he your king? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? And looking back to Zechariah's words that Matthew quotes, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. This is so important. Jesus is, came to us. Jesus came to our world. Jesus comes to us now. Now, I'm going to ask you this as we think about this. Is he your king? See, how many, how many want Jesus to be the king of the world? A lot of people say, yeah, let him be the king of the world. Make him fix our problems. Jesus, fix everything. The world is a mess. I talk to neighbors and friends and others. I was chatting with like, people I meet like on the street or people in stores and young people in universities that aren't Christians and even in other, other faiths are like, yeah, the world is pretty messed up. We need something. We need something. People are talking like that. How many of us, I think many people would say, sure, Jesus, come, fix the world. And we think of all the problems out there. We think of all the global problems. We think of all the problems in our city. We think of the economic problems, the the geopolitical problems, the, the, the problems at war. And we're like, Jesus, would you just fix all this stuff? And one day, the reign of Christ will bring A complete transformation. We know that. But here's the thing. I think it's easier for us to allow Jesus to be king of the world, yet hard for us to allow him to be king of our hearts. So when you said yes with me, I'm not against you. I think it's great. Yeah, Jesus, be the king of the world. I mean, that's what we pray for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think sometimes it's easier for us to say, Jesus, fix everything out there. But you know what? Like, just take 30% of my heart. Like, just lead 30% of my heart. You know, not, not 50, not 70, especially not 100. I need some room to control. I want some room to be me, express myself, want my stuff. It's easier for us to allow Jesus to be king of the world and all the other problems in the world and hard for us to allow him to be king of our hearts. And there's this little diagram there, and I think it's true. Sometimes we think, oh, Jesus, yes, fix the world. The world is greater than us. And I think the next thing is a little bit more helpful. It's you and the world. God wants to transform the world, wants to bring healing to the world, wants us to be his kingdom people in the world like mustard seeds, spreading the, 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 you know, just the, the, the heart and, and, and values and vision of the kingdom empowered by the spirit. But he also wants to do that in you and in me, in my heart, in your heart, in our community. We can't say, Lord fix the west island and our vicinity's off island and our city and don't say lord you know what just let me, but I'll, I'll take care of me no we want lord come and do a work in my heart be king of my heart and i just want us to be careful that we don't just merely cheer for jesus to reign over the world but understand that he wants to reign in our hearts he wants to reign in your heart and so as we journey to easter starting today Let's start right here, right here. Let's just start right here with this question. What kind of king or messiah do we want? And then is he your king? Is the way Jesus shows us the kind of king he is, is he your king? And, and it leads us to this as we just start this step today. Really simple, it's our worship and our allegiance. And I didn't, you know, singing the song before, it just hit me. And you saw when we came up to prayer we had this moment where we just tried to examine our own adoration and devotion. But and I'm singing those words. Jesus, we love you. This, our hearts adore you. Take our devotion. They're amazing words. They are. And it's part of what it means to make him king. But the word faith, the word pistis in the New Testament, is also the word for loyalty and allegiance. As we trust Jesus, we're loyal to him. We're allegiant to his kingship. And, and this is what that means, that we trust that he will work in the way he knows best to bring ultimate change. It, we trust that he knows best to transform our hearts, that he knows best to transform our lives, that when he presses a little button on our heart and says, you know, the way you're doing relationships here is not the way of the kingdom. And then we hear that, when we trust that and when we say, I hear you, Jesus, and we respond and do differently, that's worship and allegiance. That's Jesus is my Lord. It's not just my Savior, he's my Lord. He's both. And so I'm going to just, you know, what's, what's, the, what's that next step for you right now? Regardless if you've been following Jesus for 10, 20, or 30 years, or if you're just starting to follow Jesus, what's the next step of worship and allegiance to King Jesus? I'm going to invite the team to come up as we move into communion today. And, uh, man, it's, you know, we we, we hear this, and I I was thinking about this. This is, it's good news, but sometimes it could also be a contrast with our hearts, right? But I want us to know that this is important. There's a tender side to this. It's not just Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, but I want, there's a tender side to this. And think of these words from Zechariah. I want you just to hear them as personal as possible for you. These words that Matthew ties to this moment. Your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. He's coming to you. And he's coming for you. And he's coming to save you. And he's coming to restore you. Sometimes Jesus is coming in a moment as king. will have a contrast to our lives and to and ultimately to society. But, but the ultimate goal is, think about this, he's coming to you, he's coming for you, he's coming to be with you, and to live in you by his spirit, and to save you. And so this is key, because while Jesus' coming, while well, his coming was more than some bargained for, for sure, right? I, I, when people started to follow Jesus, like, oh, this is what it means. Oh, this is what it means that you're king. Okay, it's like, it's like I, I had a different expectation, Jesus, Sometimes embracing Christ as king is more than we bargained for. And that's okay because we're not God. He's God, right? We trust that his work is going to bring transformation. But here's the important thing. Even though that's true, God's fierce love for you and me sent him into the world for you and me. God's fierce love for the world, for you and me, sent Christ into the world in the most humblest way. In the most humblest way to suffer at the hands of the world he came to save. To walk into an area where people would find some tension with him. To overcome the powers and principalities in his death. To save you and to save me. Part of that is the forgiveness of our sins. Part Part of that is we get Jesus to be the king of our life. He's the best king. If we don't know it or not, we already have little mini kings in our life. They lead us, they guide us, they tell us what to do. We honor them, we pay money (laughs) at their altars. (laughs) Jesus is the best king. He's the only king. And so, would you incorporate this word into your prayers this week? I know it's a word you never say. I I never say it either. I never pray the word Hosanna. Hosanna. I rarely do. It, to me, it feels like just a biblical word, a, a word for a song or something for some moment in like Holy Week story. But that word Hosanna means save me. That's what it means. So I wanna invite you just to take this word for yourself. To say this word this week as you're praying, as you're present with the Lord. Maybe it becomes a word that you invite the Holy Spirit to just allow to become deeper and deeper into the own um, you know, desires of your own heart. And this is important because I want to encourage you with this because we can't qualify the motives of why people say Hosanna. All those people said Hosanna to Jesus when he walked, through, when he walked on that donkey. Did all of them have the right motives? No. Were all of them saying it for the right reasons? No. Were some, some of them had completely different expectations for Jesus? That's true. We can't qualify the motives of why some say or sing Hosanna. But here's the truth. Jesus still came to save Jesus still came to transform. Even if our motives are messed up, Jesus still comes to save us, regardless of our motives. Regardless of our motives, his motives are always consistent. He always comes to save. He always comes to transform. He always comes to bring healing, even if sometimes that means coming in like a surgeon and opening up something in our life that we need to, be, we need to surrender to him. He still comes to save, comes to heal. And some of you, Maybe you're looking back at your journey with Christ and you're like, man, I, I started following Jesus for the wrong reason. I thought this or that. Or maybe you look back at your life and you say, I made mistakes and I didn't really trust God with this and that was a, a, just such a failure. And you're looking back and saying, like, where were my motives? So don't, I want you to know, regardless of your motives, Jesus still came to save you. He wants to heal you and wants to make you whole. So as we move into communion, you can start, Louise, as we do that. I want to just repeat these words. Um, let's just pause and pray and take a moment here. And whether you quietly say them under your breath or in your mind, your heart, or out loud that the person, one or two people beside you hear it, it doesn't matter. Say those words, Hosanna. Hosanna. Son of David. Hosanna. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Oh God, save me. Save me. God, some people in this moment need literal saving and they're calling out to you and you see their heart and you see their situation and you see the circumstance there in God and I pray that you would come and rescue them be their God and their king even though that might surprise them in some ways of what that means may they also primarily see you as one who comes to save and heal and make whole Even if in the middle of that, you expose things along the way that they need to turn away from or repent of, God, may they see your fierce love in you as Savior and King and Rescuer and Lord. Oh God, for some who have been, maybe just today for the first time, want to trust you, Lord, I pray that they would see good news in this announcement that your Son, Jesus, is King and Lord. And may they right now in this moment respond to you in faith. A step of faith, a step of trust, a step towards following your Son, King Jesus. May they know the joy and goodness that comes from that. And God, for some that have been following you for years, And I just place myself in that group. God, remind me of how you have saved me. How you have rescued me from darkness and put me into your marvelous light. How I could not have earned that or worked towards that. But in your goodness you sent Jesus. And may we see that that salvation happened perhaps several years ago but it's still happening today because you're still at work in us and God some of us here that have been serving you for years have sometimes taken a detour sometimes had a pause in our trust in you have sometimes had some cracks in our loyalty to you And we're so grateful because of your grace that regardless of our motives, you are still Savior to us. We welcome you to refresh that in us today by your grace.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you, ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.